Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, January 8th. In today's news, two cabinet secretaries resign as calls intensify to remove President Trump from office. Aside from Trump, no Republican is taking more blame for the mob violence than Josh Hawley. And adding insult to injury, the siege of our capital may have been a super spreader event for COVID-19. But first, the big idea. Inside the Capitol on Wednesday afternoon, the rioters were in charge. Capitol Police did not ask other law enforcement agencies for help until their building was overwhelmed by a violent mob seeking to overturn the results of the election. Top congressional leaders, hidden in safe rooms during the siege, were directly calling the governors of Maryland and Virginia on their cell phones to plead for backup because the Pentagon was not sending in the D.C. National Guard to rescue them. At last, reinforcements arrived. D.C. police officers, who wear an image of the Capitol building on their department's official patch, but rarely enter the building itself, came in and saved the day. Sadly, late last night, a Capitol police officer died of injuries that he sustained during the attack. The department says Officer Brian Sicknick, a 12-year veteran of the force, was injured while physically engaging with protesters. There are reports online that one of the pro-Trump rioters hit him on the head with a fire extinguisher. Officer Sicknick collapsed after returning to his division headquarters before being taken to an intensive care unit. Three of Congress's top security officials, the Capitol Hill Police Chief, Stephen Sund, the House Sergeant-at-Arms, Paul Irving, and the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms, Michael Stinger, have all resigned or are about to, under pressure from both Republican and Democratic congressional leaders. R. Peter Herman, Carol Lennig, Aaron Davis, and David Farenthold report on the intense recriminations and finger-pointing as they try to get to the bottom of how this happened. By early Wednesday afternoon, Sun had made an urgent plea for backup from the D.C. National Guard during a call with top Pentagon officials and city leaders. But defense officials balked because they said they were concerned about the optics of soldiers going inside the U.S. Capitol. During the melee, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, a Republican, says he got a call from House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, a Democrat from his state, who was in a secure location under police protection. But the governor says that when he tried to send the Maryland National Guard into D.C. to help, he was repeatedly rebuffed by the Pentagon and stymied. It wasn't until 90 minutes later that the Secretary of the Army finally called and said the Maryland Guardsmen could come as soon as possible. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, a Democrat, says he also got a call on his cell phone Wednesday. He recalled his surprise at looking down at his phone during a meeting and seeing the name Nancy Pelosi pop up on caller ID. She was alarmed, and he says she told him, quote, Ralph, there's glass being broken around me. I've heard there's been gunfire. We're just very, very concerned right now. And there were good reasons for her to be concerned. That man who posted pictures which have gone viral of his feet up on Pelosi's desk in her office, said ahead of time that he was prepared for a violent death. Last Saturday, Richard Barnett of Gravette, Arkansas, criticized the House Speaker in a Facebook post for using the description white nationalist as a derogatory term. Our John Swain reports that this guy wrote that he's proud to be a white nationalist and anyone who's not a proud white nationalist should get out of our country right away. 
In a December 28th Facebook post, this guy wrote that he would be attending the rally at the Capitol and urged fellow Arkansans to make sacrifices to join him there. In a separate post the same day, he wrote that he, quote, came into this world kicking and screaming, covered in someone else's blood, and I'm not afraid to go out the same way. Another rioter said a group of them decided to go to Chuck Schumer's office because so many others were headed to Nancy Pelosi's office. He told a reporter that a Capitol Police officer gave members of their group directions on how to get to Schumer's office when they asked, after breaching the building. Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo, who's the president of the major city's Chiefs Association, worries that the lack of preparedness by the Capitol Police was rooted in their stereotypes, which drove a misperception of the crowd. The chief said, quote, they see Black Lives Matter and go, oh my God, we've got to be ready. But hey, these people have Blue Lives Matter flags all over the place. And that bias and that false sense of security bit them in a historically bad way. Speaking in Wilmington, Delaware yesterday, President-elect Joe Biden denounced the racial inequalities reflected in the lenient response to the mostly white attackers. He says there's no way they would have been treated the same way if they were black. We all know that's true, he said, and it is totally unacceptable. Several dozen people made their first court appearances on Thursday related to the chaos in the Capitol. In D.C. Superior Court, 40 defendants were charged with unlawful entry of public property, and they were notified that prosecutors are reviewing evidence of an additional charge of curfew violation. Most of the defendants came from outside of D.C., from as far away as Oregon, Florida, Wyoming, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. One person arrested was charged with possessing a military-style automatic weapon and 11 Molotov cocktails. Another defendant was charged with assaulting a police officer with a hockey stick. And this is suspicious. A third defendant who stormed the Capitol needed a Russian interpreter because he said he doesn't speak English. Four other people charged with federal crimes appeared in U.S. District Court, including a Maryland man accused of possessing a firearm after curfew on Capitol grounds just outside the Capitol Visitor Center. He had a 9mm handgun with a round in the firing chamber. Prosecutors say he was also carrying two fully loaded 12-round magazines, wearing a bulletproof vest, and carrying a gas mask and a pocket knife. Meanwhile, D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti vowed yesterday that his department will do whatever it takes to arrest each and every one of the violent mob. He said his department will offer a $1,000 reward for any tip leading to the arrest of a rioter. The FBI yesterday said it is asking people in the areas where improvised explosive devices were found to share any video recordings of the surroundings with investigators. At a news conference in D.C., Michael Sherwin, who is the acting U.S. attorney for the Capital Region, voiced concern at the relatively small number of rioters who were detained by police during the siege. As a result, he says federal authorities face the daunting task of identifying, locating, and obtaining arrest warrants for a huge number of suspects, which he says could occupy investigators for months. He says they're particularly worried because a large amount of government paperwork along with electronic devices and other sensitive items, were stolen from congressional offices during the occupation. He warned that this could have potentially serious national security implications. Sherwin, who is the top federal prosecutor in D.C., also said that Donald Trump himself is not off-limits in his investigation of the events surrounding the riot. He said that all actors will be examined to determine if they broke the law, 
Asked specifically if agents and prosecutors will look at the incendiary statements made by speakers at Trump's rally right before the mob sacked the Capitol, Sherwin replied point blank, yes. Asked if that might include the president, who urged the crowd to fight like hell right before the rioting began, Sherwin replied, quote, we are looking at all actors here and anyone that had a role, if the evidence fits the element of a crime, they are going to be charged. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Friday. Number one, Trump promised a smooth transition in a video message posted on Twitter late last night saying that tempers must now be cooled and calm restored. These comments are the closest he's come to acknowledging his loss, and they followed a day of escalating calls for his removal, including by several Republicans. Pelosi and Schumer called on officials to immediately invoke the 25th Amendment, warning that they are prepared to begin impeachment proceedings if the cabinet and vice president fail to act though that extraordinary step is unlikely to succeed. It's a sign that a growing number of people now believe Trump is too dangerous to remain in the Oval Office. Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, who served the entire four years of the Trump presidency, announced that she will resign. Chao, who's the wife of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, is the first cabinet secretary to leave over the insurrection. In an email to her staff, she cited the actions taken in Trump's name. Late last night, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos became the second cabinet secretary to resign, citing the president's role in the riot. In an open letter to the president, she wrote, quote, There is no mistaking the impact your rhetoric had on the situation, and it is the inflection point for me. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf called on Trump to denounce the violence carried out by supporters of the president. Wolf, though, said he does not plan to quit. Former Attorney General Bill Barr called Trump's conduct, quote, a betrayal of his office and his supporters. Mick Mulvaney, Trump's former White House chief of staff, said he's resigning from his current post as a special envoy to Northern Ireland in the wake of this travesty. Former Homeland Security Secretary and Trump's chief of staff, formerly John Kelly, urged the cabinet to meet and discuss Trump's removal. He told CNN that he would vote to invoke the 25th Amendment if he was still in the cabinet. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, a combat veteran and a Republican congressman from Illinois, also came out in favor of Trump's removal, the first member of Congress to do so. Other Republicans are signaling that they would vote to impeach the president if there is a vote in the coming days. Number two, aside from Trump, no Republican is taking more blame for this mess than Josh Hawley. The freshman from Missouri was the first senator to get on board with trying to overturn the election results so that Trump could cling to power. As he walked into the Capitol on Wednesday, Hawley cheered on this group gathering outside the building. He gave him a thumbs up. He even gave him a fist pump. Former Missouri Republican Senator John Danforth, who was Hawley's biggest mentor and champion for years, told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch yesterday that, quote, supporting Josh and trying so hard to get him elected to the Senate was the worst mistake I ever made in my entire life. Missouri Republican State Senator Shamed Dogan of Baldwin, a suburb of St. Louis, said he regrets endorsing Hawley for Senate in 2018. He tweeted that he has, quote, never regretted a vote as much and as quickly. The Student Bar Association at the University of Missouri Law School, where Hawley taught as a professor until 2017, issued a statement calling for his resignation. And last night, Simon & Schuster canceled publication of Hawley's upcoming book, The Tyranny of Big Tech. The publisher said it values publishing diverse viewpoints, but said they take seriously their larger public responsibility as citizens 
and cannot support Hawley after, as they put it in a statement, his role in the dangerous threat to our democracy and freedom. Hawley responded by calling that decision a direct assault on the First Amendment and said he will sue Simon and Schuster and, quote, fight them with everything I have. In a particularly poor choice of words, Hawley described himself in a statement as the victim of a woke mob. Number three. As the United States marked another grim milestone yesterday with more than 4,000 COVID deaths reported in a single day for the first time, federal disease trackers say their latest research shows that people without symptoms transmit more than half of all cases of the coronavirus. These findings come from a model developed by the CDC. They demonstrate the importance of following the agency's guidelines about wearing a mask and maintaining social distance. Experts are particularly concerned that the occupation of our capital is going to worsen the spread, especially here in D.C. The virus thrives indoors, particularly in crowded spaces, lingering in aerosol particles. If even a few of these insurrectionists were infected, which seems almost certain given the current rates of spread and the size of the crowd, then this virus would have had the ideal opportunity to find new victims. Hundreds of these rioters shouted in crowded rooms and hallways without masks, Infected members of Congress and law enforcement could have spread the virus to one another as they sheltered in tightly packed groups. Congressman Jake LaTurner, a Republican from Kansas, announced on Twitter yesterday that he has tested positive for the virus. He was cloistered inside the chamber for several hours with other members of Congress. Also, at least a dozen of the 400 or so lawmakers and staff who were huddled in a particular committee room refused to wear masks as they were sheltering in place, even after being offered one. Several others also wore them improperly below their chins. Some Democrats yelled at the Republicans to put their masks on. They still refused. Nationally, in the past seven days, U.S. infections, hospitalizations, and deaths have hit record highs almost every single day. Cases reached a record 277,135 new daily cases. More than 132,000 Americans are waking up in the hospital this morning with COVID. As of yesterday, more than 21 million doses of the coronavirus vaccines have been distributed, but just under 6 million have been administered. But let me close out this dark week with two glimmers of hope. One, the vaccine appears to protect against the new mutations and variants of the virus. Both the UK and the South African variants contain a mutation of the spike protein commonly referred to as N501Y. That may be the key factor that makes both variants especially contagious. Scientists from Pfizer and the University of Texas took blood samples from participants who had received their vaccine during clinical trials, and they found that the vaccine effectively neutralized that virus with these mutations. Sadly, as the study's authors note, there are numerous other mutations found in the new variants that the vaccine has not yet been tested against. That means continuous monitoring is vital. A future mutation could prove resistant to the vaccines. Even if that's the case, though, it's not necessarily as alarming as it sounds. BioNTech's chief executive says it would only take them about six weeks to retool the vaccine to protect against a new strain if necessary. Secondly, a new study out this morning in the journal Science shows that the human body typically retains a robust immune response to the coronavirus for at least eight months after an infection and potentially much longer. We've heard this anecdotally. We thought this was true. But it's nice that the data bears out about 90% of patients who were studied show lingering, stable immunity. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, January 8th. Thank you for listening. 
I'm James Hellman. Stay safe. I'll talk to you on Monday. Thank you.